Welcome back. Let's try that again. Now, to uh, start the service off for today, I want to remind everybody that your giving can be online now. It's on Facebook Live, and it's also on our on our website. So uh, that's been working. Uh, that's one thing the coronavirus has done. It's forced us into the uh, 21st century. And lest anybody wonder, I was the reason why we never did that, because I knew it would be a real pain to balance all that stuff. And sure enough, it is a pain, but we'll do it. And, uh, and now I'm all in. You can also mail it to us at P.O. Box 236 in Andrews. And so uh, we can go that way or drop it by my house. And the older I get, the more dicey that becomes. <laughs> I'm breaking all my models of behavior, which is dangerous at my age. All right. Well, now we're at a time, Easter in the uh, New Testament days, Passover, according to the Bible. And this is like a Passover, I would call this, in fact, the title of this message is a Passover like none other. And that is the truth. In all of my life, I have never seen an Easter season, a Passover season like this one, ever. And I don't know if there's ever been one like this. Uh, a worldwide pandemic. That has definitely gotten the attention of everyone. Uh, and, you know, you think about that. Obviously, God must be involved in what's been going on. There is just no way that the entire world can get shut down in every way, economically, in, in every other way, uh, health-wise, uh, like this, and not be God. God's got to be involved at this level. So it's, it's uh, I think it's be, uh, becoming of us to find out what is he after in all of this. I mean, he wouldn't just do this just to say, hey, by the way, I just want to let you guys know there is a God and it's me, and then just move on and go back to your regular ways. I know everyone's wanting to get back to their regular ways, but you know what? I don't think that we're going to. I think things have changed, and actually that's a good thing. Things need to change. I have not seen things like they are right now for good in a long, long time. I mean, I, I sense something that's going on in the spirit. Uh, and it reminds me of um, the way America was back when I was a boy. And for some of you, right, in fact, for all of you around here, you wouldn't even know what that's like because I'm older than all of you. I remember being a boy. Draven's age. How old are you, Draven? 10? 11. Even younger than that. And coming together and uh, in the family environment with my, my, my family meeting, going to see my grandparents with my dad and we would all gather together and, uh, we would play, uh, instruments. My, my dad would bring a guitar or play the piano. My granddad would break out his fiddle and we would start playing music and we would all sing and we'd play games together. We'd do all kinds of stuff together as a family. There was a goodness about America in those days. And uh, I've forgotten what it felt like. There was a, a French historian that came through uh, America back in the 1800s. Early 1800s. Early 1800s. Alexander de, de Tocqueville? Yeah, de Tocqueville. And he made a tour of America, and, and he wrote a book. He's a historian. wrote this, this, this treatise on what he saw. And he said this is the one line that has stuck out over the, day, over the ages. He said, America is great. Because America is good. When America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. 
I think that's the truth. And, uh, you know, and then we have someone like Donald Trump comes in and says, let's make America great again. And how offensive that has become to many people, that term. They wanted to define what, what good is. Let me tell you what, there's only one good. There's just one. And that is the Lord. And if you know him, then you can reflect his goodness. But if you don't know him, if you're not walking with him, America is not great. No one is. So God got involved. And, and the way he got involved is with this plague. Let's just call it what it is. The coronavirus, COVID-19, is a plague. It is a biblical plague. The word plague itself means a pandemic. We know what that word means now, don't we? A pandemic, a widespread, even worldwide sickness that can cause death and often referring to a judgment of God. If that doesn't describe what we've been through, I don't, I don't know what would describe it. Now then, please note this. Plagues have been used by God over time to get people's attention. And the greatest example of that that we know of was the season that we're in right now, Passover. In Egypt, there were ten of them. Let's turn over there real quick. I'll just show you what I'm saying. Look at Exodus chapter 7. What I want you to look at here is just the captions above these various plagues. And again, there were ten of them. Exodus 7. Look at uh, verse 14. The caption above verse 14. The first plague, the waters become blood. All right? So it was a plague. It got their attention. Look at uh, chapter 8, verse above verse 1. The second plague, frogs. Look at the same chapter, verse 16. The third plague, lice. Look at same chapter, verse 20. The fourth plague, flies. And I want to read a scripture in this section here to, let, to make a point here. Look up. Let's just start reading verse 20. The Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. You, you, you. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies. And also the ground on which they stand. And look at verse 22. This is something you need to underline if you have it. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. That word set apart is the Hebrew word pala. I will make it a wonder. It will be a wonder. And we are supposed to be signs and wonders to our people today. I will make it a wonder. The land of Goshen where the Egyptians were the... Uh, uh, Jews lived during that time of Egypt, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall come there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. So please note going forward, God wants to make a difference. He wants the world to know that there is something different. 
about his people and those who are not his people. And at some point, folks, we will have to be ready and able to come out and make those statements. Do you know that at the end, and we're closing in on that end time, there will be a season, three and a half years, where two witnesses, which really describes the church and Israel, two witnesses will go throughout the entire world making a difference. And you know what they will do? They will call upon the Lord and smite the earth with plagues as often as they wish. And of course, that would have to be under the leadership of the Lord. But the very same thing that God used to get the world to know that he's God, he wants his people to be able to do that at some point. So we got to be different. And the plague can't be a threat to us. Now, to be around us, Psalm 91 says, there'll be a thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but they'll not come near you. So somehow, and I don't think it's through social distancing, we will be different. Now, so every one of those plagues, uh, there's more of them. I mean, look at uh, chapter 9, the fifth plague. Livestock is, is done. And in that same chapter, look at uh, verse 13, the seventh plague, hail. And in this, and I want you to read something here, because uh, this is the purpose of plagues in this in this chapter in this section thirteen. The Lord said to Moses, "Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews: Let my people go, that they may serve me. But at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart." And that's the point of plagues, is that they would. Enter into the heart of the people to whom they're sent to reveal their heart. For Pharaoh, it was to reveal to him his stubbornness and his blindness. So God goes right at where you live. Now, we know that uh, he did this to this guy. Look at that verse 16. Indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you. And that my name may be declared in all the earth. And so another reason for the plagues, that God's name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Those days are coming even more. What we're having right now is just sort of a trial run. Now, <clears throat> please think about this. If God's going to make a difference, how is he going to do it? I can tell you this much about every one of those plagues in Egypt. Every single one of those plagues was directed at one of the gods of Egypt. So God's going to make sure that, hey, I'm the only God. My name will be claimed in all the earth. So I'm going to take a shot at every one of your gods. Do you think he's doing that right now? With COVID-19? May I suggest why and which God he's trying to hit on? Did you know that the greatest uh, number of abortions every year are done in China? 35 million abortions a year are done in Asia, most of them in China. You know how many are done in America? 1.6. 1.6 million. 35 million in that part of the world. And where did this thing start? China. And where did it center on at the, when it really got going worldwide? Where was the center of it at the end? New York City. And we talked about this 
a few weeks ago. Why the New York City? Because they were flaunting their, their independence of God. Uh, right before the, the, the coronavirus hit them, they passed the most liberal abortion law in the land where you could abort until the very last day of that birth of a baby. And they celebrated it. Como, the, the governor, celebrated it by uh, commanding that uh, one World Trade Center, which was built after 9-11, be lit up in peak. All right? To celebrate abortion. Right after that, here comes the plague. And it has centered on that place, and they have not been able to get out from underneath it very well. Am I right? Okay, so what would come up, if I were, if I were a prophet, and I was sent to him, you know what I would tell him? You know, I like the way you talk, you're, you're an interesting guy, but if you want to really lead your people, take them to Second Chronicles 7, and pray the prayer of repentance over that sin, because you're supposed to turn from your wicked way. What is your wicked way? Abortion? Have you noticed that in Texas, the fight in Texas over operations during this time, you know, they say Abbott stopped all non-necessary surgical procedures in Texas. They got sued immediately over abortion. You think that might be a God? And I got other uh, stats on that. Just watch where it goes. Who does it affect? Is that your God? It's definitely a God in America. <clears throat> How about money? Has that shaken everybody? Not to the extent that it's going to. But I think he's given us a wake-up call. I mentioned this a while ago. Look over there and look at it real real fast. Second Chronicles 7. I thank God for this scripture today. I think that if we had not gone through this scripture in a very real way, like we've never done before, we would not be able to stand here this day and do what we're about to do. I think we'd be drinking judgment to ourselves. But Second Chronicles 7 gives us and gave us a way to deal with this stuff before we got caught up on Passover. 7 verse 13. This is God speaking, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or, last part of 13, send the pestilence. That's the same word, plague, pandemic. I send the pandemic among my people, and it has been, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. About a week and a half ago, me and, and several other pastors in town did a little podcast over this scripture. And you know, I really believe that God heard that. And it's been hearing that all over the land. And if there's any question about what the wicked way is that we should turn, then we mentioned Psalm 139. Search my heart, O God. And know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me. And then turn me back to the everlasting way. So we have been serious. I think America has been serious. And we are literally turning back to God. 
And uh, I, I've never felt it like I feel it right now. I, I, we've been through bad times, like 9-11 was a bad time, and everybody read the scripture all the time. Uh, but I don't think it stuck. I don't think it stuck very long at all. I think it maybe lasted a week. The churches were full one Sunday. They were back to normal the next. This is different. This is different, and I can, and I think you can feel it in the spirit. And I'm very happy. I think we will go back to what God originally wanted us to do this year, which is a lot different than just dealing with a plague. So here we are at Passover. The Passover season, and everybody's in their own home, which I think is actually prophetic. Look back over to Exodus 12. This is the tenth plague. The angel of death coming to smite all the firstborn. The tenth plague. Now, we've been asking everybody to get their communion elements. We're going to do it together here in a little bit, virtually. But in this day, everybody did it in their own home. And that's why we're doing it again today. Everybody do it in their own home as we partake of it here in a few minutes. Now, this is the tenth plague. And in order for them to survive this plague, because this one was literally going to touch Everybody, unless you had taken care of business, is this was a threat to everyone. And so God set it up for his people to truly be made a difference in. And so he taught them to do a few things. Uh, first thing was uh, chapter 12. Um, let's just say verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month... Every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. All right? I feel like that's kind of what we're doing in a type and a shadow right now. Every family have your own elements, a picture of the lamb. Jump over to verse uh, 21, and we'll look at this in a little more detail. 21, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb, each one of you. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of your house until morning. So one or two points here. Every one of you have your own lamb. And there's only one lamb now. Jesus is our Passover. He is the Passover lamb. Take the blood and strike your doorpost. The top and the sides. And don't go out. Stay under the blood. Do not go do your thing. All right? So they all did that. So our first job is to take what God has given to us and use it. All right? Strike the doorpost of our life. Verse uh, 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over your door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So here's how it works. We strike with the blood over our house. God will go past us and he will strike our enemies. And that's why the communion uh, service should be a time of celebration. You know, you talk about the song that we started out with, I have a victory. Well, this is how you get your victory. 
You use the things that God has given and you believe in it and act like it's, it's true and watch it come true. So they all did it. We'll just read out the rest of it here. Verse 25. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you just as he promised that you keep this service. Now, verse 25 is important to us today because that is what I think is going on in the body of Christ as a whole. I think that the body of Christ has been called to enter into the promised land, which we have now done. We're literally camped at Gilgal where he circumcises all the males. In other words, he enters their covenant with them again. And then they observe the Passover. It was the first time they had observed the Passover for 40 years or 38, whatever it was. So here they were told to do it when you enter the promised land. And they or they did it when they did. And I think that's kind of what we're doing in a way is, the, is what Joshua went through as well, as well as what Moses went through. So it's all kind of coming together. Now, then, <clears throat> let's see here. Verse 26, it shall be. When your children say to you, so I mean, we really want the kids to be involved with this. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their knees and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as Mo- the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And then here comes the 10th plague. The biggest one of them all. All right. Let's talk about the Passover in the New Testament. As I said earlier, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 26. Paul had much to say about the, about the Passover function and the, the Lord's Supper because they become one here. Jesus fulfills it, and we become uh, partakers of the Passover through his blood. Paul said it this way, Jesus is our Passover. And then all through the New Testament, it refers to him. He is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. He has always was intended to be the full manifestation of what these guys did in the picture. In Matthew 26, Jesus has come to the end of his, his walk. His time is up. And now... He is going to become that Passover lamb. And he told his disciples to go get this place, this upper room. And he, when he sat out with them, he says, I have lo- off, how long have I desired to have this Passover with you? He'd already been through 30 of them. I mean, he was 30 years old, 33. So he'd been through several of them. This one was different. And I think today is also different. This is not the normal. So he gathers his guys together. Like Moses said to Pharaoh, the plagues that come, they come to reveal what's in your heart. So do you think that what has been going on around here has revealed what's in people's heart? I mean, seriously, do you think there's been some revelation of what hearts are, are like? Do you think some people are freaking out? Do you think that that's what God wants in their heart? The Bible's clear. He has not given to us a spirit of fear, 
but we've been walking in fear. Well, how do you know? Go to any grocery store and you will see the evidence of that. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's truly amazing how this happens. And I can say a lot of things here that I'm not going to say right now, but the evidence is out there. And you can pretend that you haven't been doing it, but God does know. That's the truth. He knows. Or have you been walking in trust? Because see, when there's terror that flies by night, Psalms 91, when the plague is out, I will trust in you. Have you trusted in him? Or are you not yet there? Take inventory. Or where are you, really? Especially, I want you to look at it today. Because we're about to take that Passover with him. Where are you? It's time to get real with God. Or you could die. I mean, just look around. There's people dying. Look at the color of my hair. I think I'm in that, that select group that really is the target of this thing. Isn't it weird how the devil's trying to take out the Joshua generation? Crazy, the warrior. All right, so here Jesus is with his group. And like I said, the plague, the Passover, it all reveals what's in a heart. So in verse 17, now on the first day of the Feast of Love and Leavened Bread, the Passover here, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat this Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. And I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they had prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So that when the fullness of the thing comes, hearts will be revealed. Folks, you can play games with God for a long time. But there's a day when the games are over. And what's in your heart will be revealed. And so that's what's happened to Judas. Okay, now everybody freaked out. Uh, um, 22, they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them, every one of them, began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Isn't that amazing? They don't even know. But at least they're honest enough to do a Psalm 139 question. God, is that me? It's better for me to know than for me to play this game. Is it I? He answered and said, It is he who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man that he had not been born. If there's any question about where Judas Iscariot is, heaven or hell, I think that that scripture right there kind of answers it, doesn't it? Been better never to be born? Then Judas, who was betraying him, he'd already taken the money, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He was the last guy. And Jesus said to him, you said it. Out of your own mouth, I will judge you. And the next, the caption, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the communion that we celebrate today was a part of Passover. So let's let's read about the Passover. The Lord's Supper. Verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he broke it 
and gave to, to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. Now we're going to spend a little time here about each one of these elements. So hold your place in that scripture and let's go look at the body for a minute. What's it all about? Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, the body. Verse 5. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you, God, did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I, Jesus said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I have come to do your will, O God. Previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So when Jesus says, this is my body, two things pop out. By him doing that, he separated, sanctified, made holy all of us one time by one offering. He, he did this work. He separated us from the world and the world's purposes for us. Why do you say purposes? Because he, in doing this, he also said, I have come to do your will, O God. So why was the body given to him? In order that he might do the will of God. Amen? Okay, well, what about, how does that affect my life? Well, look in Romans 12. What about you? Do you have a body? Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, just like what we read with Jesus, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So likewise, just like Jesus, you have been given a body so that you can do the will of God. What are you using your body for? The Bible says that you, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What are you using it for? I know this much. I have been really dealt with by God lately about what I watch on TV. He said, do you want to take this body, which was given by God to be his temple, and give it over to prostitutes or to fornication or to pornography? My God, you turn on the TV. We've been trying to watch the movies. We're going, oh, my Lord, I didn't know that movie had that. So we're down to watching 1940s westerns. What was that what we watched the other day? Uh, Doolittle, no. Uh, Pale Face. No, with uh, 
Yeah, Doolittle. I recommend Doolittle. It's crazy. Simple, clean movies. Now, when I do my Psalm 139 stuff, when I did my Psalm 139 stuff, guess what? It was over. Watching things I shouldn't watch. Usually sexual things. And I, you know, and I feel, I feel good about it in this way. I am convicted again. Thank God. I do the same thing now that I would have done 10, 15, 20 years ago. Turn it off. Don't watch it. Instead of, oh, I'll get through it. Then it doesn't affect me. Really? Really? Are you that stupid? The Bible's clear. Don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupt. So whatever comes at you in a communicative kind of way, if you think it's not affecting you, then you are either deceived or you're a liar. Because the word says the exact opposite of that. And at some point, you got to take the word for what it says. And like my granddad used to say, it says what it means, and it means what it says. How about that for simplicity? You have a body too. Use it the right way. And I think, I think everybody's kind of feeling that right now. Thank God. Okay, so let's go back to Matthew 26. He did the body. Verse 27. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. For this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. So here we have it. This is that blood that that the Blood of the lamb in, in, in Egypt prefigured. They struck it over the door and death passed them by. Now the blood of Jesus, if you take it, the death will pass you by. You won't die. Now your body at some point is going to die, but you will live forever if you take the blood the right way. It's a covenant he gives to us. The blood is powerful. There's power in the blood. Well, there's a couple of things about the blood. Did you notice in verse 28, it has been shed. The blood is shed. I'm not an English major or nor am I a Greek major, but there are people who are. And one of them, my favorites is this guy called Zodiates. Um, and he writes about this word shed. It is, the tense of the thing is present participle. Do you know what that means? Yeah. Continuous action. Yeah, being shed, always being shed. And so what it, what it denotes is this. It has, it is continuously being poured out before the foundation of the world. Has continuously been poured out before the foundation of the world. Isn't that what the Bible says about Jesus? He was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So his blood was being shed continuously before the foundation of the, of the world. And get this part. It was destined to be so. It was his destiny. 
It was part of his calling. All right. Y'all like that? Thank God for that. God planned this all along. He had us covered all before we ever messed it up. So what does that have to do with you? Jesus was given a body to do the will of God. What happened to that body? It got broken and the blood came out. What about you? You've been given a body. Look over to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, verse 49. This is Jesus talking. The wisdom of God also said, I will send the Jews. I will send them prophets and apostles. Now stop for a minute. There had never been apostles until Jesus came. So what he's talking about isn't Old Testament. The prophets were. Apostles are New Testament. And there are prophets in the New Testament as well. I will send them apostles and prophets. And some of them they will kill and persecute that the blood of all the prophets which was shed. Same word. Same present participle from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. So in other words, there are people, some of them, who have the same destiny that Jesus had. There will be martyrs. There will be martyrs. In fact, the two witnesses that we referred to earlier at the end of their ministry are killed. Sorry. Does that need all you going to die? No. Some will. Now that violates the doctrine of a lot of people. But that's what the Bible says. So we got to deal with the truth. All right. So there it is. You know, just like Jesus and, and by us following through with what he has prophesied about our life, we fulfill the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. We live out the things that Jesus lives. Go back to uh, <clears throat> Matthew 26. It isn't just the blood that he refers to here. He also refers to, in verse 27, before the blood, he refers to the cup. The cup. This is a big deal. Because <clears throat> the cup is the vessel through which God does things. And you can be a vessel. It isn't just any cup. When they did the Passover, they actually had four cups. And if you read Luke's version of this thing, he actually gets into it in more detail. And they have a meal, and they're drinking cups, you know, from in that meal, and then finally they get around to the Lord's Supper at the end of the thing. And they bring out this cup. So each cup signified something that happened to Israel uh, in Egypt. The first cup was, number one, I will take you out. These are things that God said uh, to the the Jews. Number one, the first cup, I will take you out. The second cup, I will save you. The third cup, I will redeem you. The fourth cup, I will take you as a nation, which is kind of symbolic of take them into the promised land. This cup, the one that he takes, according to Paul, was the third cup. 
And if you read these other commentaries that we have today, that's what they'll tell you. He picks out the third cup. And this is the cup that he uses for our communion service. Not the first one, not the second one, the third one. It's called the cup of blessing, the cup of redemption. And when you read Paul's version of the, of the Lord's Supper in, in Corinthians, he talks about it. He says, the cup which we have communion with, isn't it the cup of blessing? And so what does that mean? Well, I'll show you. Look at Psalms 116. I'll tell you what, before you go there, go back to Matthew 26. And then we'll come back to Psalm 116. Let's just take it from this point. Jesus does the Passover with these guys. He says, I'm not going to do this again until I do it new with you guys in the kingdom of God. And then look uh, in verse 31. He predicts Peter's denial. I said earlier that when this stuff all starts taking place, hearts are revealed. And we know what happened with Peter. We've talked about it a lot lately. He says, you know, Peter says, uh, Jesus said, you're all going to deny me tonight. And Peter said, not me. I'm better than everybody. The whole world can deny you, but not me. And it took three shots of public, uh, um, I don't know, he really set him up to be uh, a public spectacle. That's how deep that guy's pride went. And that's how strong his calling was. It took three public shots to knock him down from his little perch that he had built for himself. But they all denied him. But when they left this upper room, they hadn't done anything yet. Let's read a little bit further here. They leave the upper room and they go to the prayer in the garden, verse 36, in the garden of Gethsemane. Verse 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. And look at the prayer that he prays. Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is that cup. Now, he symbolically did it with these guys. But in order to be identified with us, they were about to betray him. They're fixing to fail. So to be like them, a high priest that could be touched with the feeling of their weaknesses, here he is showing his humanness over this cup. And, and look how it points to the will of God versus my will. This is where the cup sets in. He prayed at one time. I, I don't want this. If there's any way. Verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That was a revelation. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And they came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. 
So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. I gotta get some confidence. That makes me feel good. Cause sometimes, you know, you, you struggle with God and, you know, you don't, you're not sure what you're getting through. And you keep asking him for the same thing. You wonder if you're making him mad. Jesus prayed three times. Of course, he got the same answer every time. How many times has that happened to you? You know, you, you pray to God, you only do this. He says, yep or no. Ah, oh, I can't be God. You pray it again, same answer. Ah, I rebuke you, Satan. Then you look around like Jesus did. Hey, guys, can't you just help me a little bit? Stay awake, for God's sake. We look for someone to carry our burden with us. Nobody can carry your burden. You carry your burden. I'll carry my burden. So he's very human here. And so finally the third time, same words, verse 44, he left them, went away, prayed the third time, same words. He came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be gone. See, my betrayer is at hand. So he took the cup. And it becomes a cup of blessing, a cup of redemption. Look over in Psalm 116 now. We know what it meant. He got the tar beat out of him. He got crucified. His blood was shed. And then he could take that cup and say, this is my blood. It'll keep you from death. I had to die so you won't have to die. Verse one, uh, chapter 16, 116 of Psalms. Verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord? He fulfills this scripture. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord. Is the death of his saints. How that must be true. Especially for his son. And so, you know, what happened here is that Jesus, that bloodshed, you know, that was his destiny. That was his calling. And he left heaven to do it. And he came to the moment where it had to be done. And it was still hard. And he's praying that if there's any other way. And yet he did it. And he paid his vow to the Lord. And so now that cup has become our cup of blessing. So what does it do for you? And what does it do to you when you take of the Lord's Supper? Because this is his blood. Every time you take of this blood and of this body you show the lord's death until he comes so we're back there again living it out with him well here's what we do verse 15 now it's your turn precious in the sight of the lord is the death of his saints oh lord 
Truly I, me, you too, am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. Look at the last line. You have loosed my bonds. Death has no power over us now. You have loosed my bonds. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, or death has a sting. Grave has a victory. It's gone. You've loosed my bonds. And then verse 17, my turn, my turn. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord, verse 18, and I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. My turn. Now, what's that cup going to mean for you today? Matthew 20. We know how it was an issue with Jesus. Boy, I bet he had a hard time when he did the, the Lord's Supper and he took that cup. My God. And, it, and the body too. You know, he said, this is going to be broken. This body's going to get broken. And if you've seen that movie, The Passion of the Christ, oh, my word. You know, that is incredible. And he knew it and did it anyway. Well, you're a disciple, all of you. You two are disciples. Chapter 20, this is right before, this chapter here is right before he enters Jerusalem for the last week of his life. Right before it. And... They're already jockeying for position. They want to be sitting on the right hand and the left. Verse 22, I think, is where we want to start. Jesus answered the two who were asking this thing. He says, you do not know what you're asking. And he asked this question, and this is unto everybody. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. So what does that mean? We're all going to die. We're all going to, you know, martyr. No, it really doesn't mean that. Thank God. But one thing that it does do, that cup, he was struggling with it right then. And we saw he struggled with it to the end. But that cup and the way it worked out for him in his life was his destiny. That was why he came. He came to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. That was his calling. All right? When you take of that cup, you're showing all that he went through. And what was he going through? Find the will of God for my life. If Romans 12, give your body as a sacrifice in your mind so that you can prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God for your life. And so when you take the cup, you're literally agreeing to let it be completed in you. I want to go ahead and do what God put me on this planet to do. Jeremiah 29, 11. That's a nice one as a hope in the future. That sounds pretty cool. How about Psalm 139? All my days were written before there were any of them. Before the foundation of the earth, you numbered my days. You had a purpose for my life. 
And I, by taking that cup, am agreeing with you, just like you did with Father. I've come to do your will, O God. No longer my will. So when I turn on the TV, I mean, it comes in simple things sometimes. And there's a, a bunch of sex going on. What am I supposed to do? What are, you, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, you run. Turn it off. How about repent? If it got into your spirit. You know what I mean? Be real. Be real. Now we're, 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 we're stepping up to the line. Take the example of the promised land Passover with Joshua and all those people. Now it was time to enter in and take it. You know, the first generation tried to enter in, and they came back with 12 spies. Ten of them gave a bad report. Guess what they had? The plague. The pandemic killed every one of them, and they left Joshua and Caleb, the only ones with a good report. When they came back 40 years later, they came in. Why? It was their calling. It was their destiny. And we have a generation now, young and old, it is our time to enter into the fullness of God. This is what 2020 is supposed to represent. The fullness of God is now available. We have to enter in. We have to do his will. And you can't be halfway about it. That'll kill you. Now, so as we take the cup and the bread here in a minute, ask yourself, what is my destiny? Have I been playing games with this? Or am I ready to do business with God? Thank God for Second Chronicles 7 and the times of repentance and turning that we have had before now. Because I think it would be a bad thing to do. Because Paul said in Corinthians, if you do it unworthily, you, you drink a damnation to yourself. But I think that you know, as, a, as a whole, and maybe not every single person, but as a whole, the church has turned. And now we're ready. But I would ask you to think about this as well. Just like the disciples when they did the first Lord's Supper. Were, they were at where they were at. One of them betrayed him. They all denied him. Right? Why? Peter still had, and those other guys still had this element of, of uh, uh, I don't know, self. Uh, self-preservation. That still ruled them, did it not? I mean, he said, I'll, I'll cut ears off. I'll, I'll, I'll die with you. They all, oh, they all said the same thing. But boy, when the first thing, when they first came out, I said, aren't you guys part of his, his, his group? Oh, no. Oh, not me. And they ran. Did they take the, the Lord's Supper unworthily? No, not yet. They weren't yet where they needed to be. They had not yet been, yet been baptized with fire. They were in the process of being baptized with fire. That revelation of what I really am all about will become your fiery uh, baptism. Now, for example, when you go to the store, how many of you have been there with this self-preservation mindset? Just be real with you now. Does fear drive your life right now? I'm not asking you to be stupid and go breathe in everyone's face. And Please don't do that. But are you walking around? Oh, oh, don't touch nothing. Oh, my God. Or maybe you're not acting it out, but inside, 
inside. It's going on. Has your grocery buying habits changed? Are you stocking up? You got tribulation beans everywhere? Honestly, just be honest. Now's the time to say, Lord, set me free. The blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, including fear. Fear is a sin, folks. Y'all believe that? He didn't give it to us. If he didn't give it to us, then it misses the mark, which is the, by definition, sin. Anything that is not of faith, the Bible says, is sin. Amen? What he's looking for is a bride who trusts him. Now, the baptism of fire will take you there. Everybody has growing to do in that area. I know that. Jesus knew that with his, with his uh, disciples. And he was willing to, to let it happen so they could understand where they were at and where they needed to go. So there's no condemnation here. But I want everybody to be on the mark concerning what we're doing here. We're agreeing with our destiny. Amen? That's what we're doing. Now, one of the really neat things that's happening around here is that this is for the family. This is for the family. So as you, as we do this, I want you to get your family together. And let's do this with them. Uh, we'll do it with parents first. Susan and I will go first. And then we'll do a family. we got uh, her daughter and her grandson here. And, uh, and then we'll have a few people here that we'll do it with as well. So uh, I want you to think about that. Now, here's another thing I want you to think about. Obviously, and this is to me so cool, the spirit of the Lord is moving. The great awakening has been prophesied to take place now, this year. Another great awakening, a billion souls. I know, I have started to see this. It's going to start with the church first. Judgment does. So does this. He's going to start redeeming family, kids. I don't care how old they are. Even if you're 90 and your kids are 70, if they don't know Jesus, get ready. The Spirit of God is going out, and he literally is turning hearts. It's a Malachi 4 moment. The hearts of the sons are turned to the fathers, and the fathers to the sons. That is beginning. You can see it happening. So as you do this with your family, ask your children, do you know Jesus? Are you ready to walk with Jesus too? I bet you some of them say yeah. And here's my my point to the church here in Andrews. Before we leave this building, which will be soon, we'll have one more service and we will baptize. Anybody who needs to be baptized, and I hope there's a ton of them. We will baptize them. All right? So if your kids, for example, have not yet been baptized and they want to be baptized now, now is the time. Let me know. Okay, so let's do the communion. And we'll start with Susan and I. And to do proper etiquette. So if you out there in 
virtual land will get your elements. We'll start with the head of the families, and and then we'll do the children. We did practices, by the way. <laughs> and by the way, there's no carpet on the carpet, so it doesn't matter anymore. We're leaving. Jesus <clears throat> did it this way. Okay, Susan. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And Susan, he said, this cup is the blood of my covenant with you. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's pray a prayer blessing over this. Lord, we thank you for what you have done. My prayer is that in every home, you will be there. Breaking this and protecting of this with your people. And calling them out, Lord, to fulfill the destiny of their life. That nothing else will, will satisfy them. This I know. So you show them, as the Father showed you, the joy of it all. Awaken their hearts to the joy of the Lord. And God, I pray that that will be so with us. That as we go forth, it'll be an evidence to everyone of you, God, that we're different. We have joy. We have peace. We're righteous before you. This is your kingdom. And so I pray for it for these people and let the harvest begin for your glory. And Jesus, for your sake, amen.